Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 18, 18th chapter of John's Gospel, beginning verse 28. The religious trials are over. Annas and Caiaphas have both had Jesus before them and have moved him on now, or moving him on now to Pilate, the Roman governor. They have uh, seen Peter in the courtyard being confronted with, you were, you were one of them, you were with him, you know him. And, of course, Peter saying, I don't know what you're talking about, three times. And then the rooster crowing, and Peter realizing that what Jesus had told him would happen was going to happen, even in the midst of Peter's bold affirmations, though all will betray you, though everybody run away from you, though people not, ha- not hang around, I'll be the one that'll hang around. I'll always be here. And Jesus saying, well, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that happened. I was amazed that some of you brought this up after the sermon last week, and I, I had intended to talk about it a little bit. And, and again, uh, OLD syndrome set in, and uh, I left it out. But there are several uh, illustrations in our own world today of people who did not fall, did not succumb to what Peter did on that night. You, you think of uh, Saeed Abedini in a prison in Iran because of his faith in Christ, because of his proclaiming Christ. And just this week, news articles coming out talking about how they may extend his prison time, they may, they may give him harder prison time, because people are coming to know Christ because he's there. He won't quit talking about Christ. He won't quit witnessing to those who are in prison with him. And so rather than saying, I don't know him and getting a little less penalty perhaps, he continues to talk about, this is who Jesus is and this is what he means to me and sharing the gospel with them. Or you think about Miriam, and I forget her last name, who's in a prison in, in Sudan. She's there because she will not renounce her faith in Christ. She was born to a Muslim father and a Christian mother. The Muslim father deserted the family, but because he's the father and and in in Muslim life, he's the one who uh, kind of is the one in charge, because he is the father, they will not acknowledge that she's anything but a Muslim, and now she's professing Christ, and so they are saying she has apostatized, and she's in prison under a penalty of 100 lashes and then... Hanging, death by hanging. All she has to do is say, I renounce my faith in Christ. I deny Jesus, and she's out of there. She's had her young son in in prison with her, two years old, and now she's had another baby while in prison. Both of those, by the way, American citizens who are sitting in prison with her. All she's got to do is say, listen, and many have encouraged her, look, you don't have to mean it. Just say it. And then get out of there and then run and and do what you want to do. Just say it. And she says, I can't do that. I cannot deny the Lord who bought me. I cannot deny the Lord who has saved me. I cannot deny my Lord. I can't say that somebody else is Lord. And I can't turn my back on him. Peter, Peter, in the midst of peer pressure, in the midst of all that around Caiaphas' house and Annas' house, just could not bring himself to do anything but deny Christ. But after he denied him, he, he disappears from the scene. No evidence 
that Peter follows Jesus now. <coughs> Excuse me. No evidence that Jesus follow, uh, Peter follows Jesus now to Pilate's praetorium, his place of passing judgment. So Peter goes, no doubt, and just hides himself. He'll show up again later, and he'll be with the disciples, no doubt probably still beating himself up, still bemoaning the fact of what he had done, but he, he kind of disappears for now. So they take Jesus away from Caiaphas, to Pilate. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 28 in today's text. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. They, they couldn't go into the place of the Gentiles because they would be defiled and they could not participate in the Passover, which was right upon them. So they stayed outside in a court outside the praetorium. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. I, I love that. Why do you bring him here? What are the charges? Well, don't worry about the charges. We're just telling you we wouldn't have brought him here if he wasn't an evildoer. If he didn't deserve to be here, would we, the religious leaders of, of Judaism, would we have brought him to you if it were not for the fact that he is an evildoer? So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. Now there's the, there's the reason they brought him to Pilate. Because Rome had... Uh, had taken over Jerusalem, Rome had taken over the, the nation, and, and they had said, we're the only ones who can put someone to death. You can't do that anymore. So they, they were in a quandary of sorts. They, they could try him, but they couldn't put him to death. And they really wanted him put to death. And he was going to go be put to death, because that's why he came. To fulfill the word... Of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium. He, he left the leaders and the, and the mob outside the praetorium, outside the gate, and he went into the praetorium again, and he summoned Jesus to come in and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this? on your own initiative or did others tell you about me Pilate answered I am not a Jew am I your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me what have you done and Jesus answered said my kingdom is not of this world notice he didn't say my kingdom is not in this world it's not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Significant statement. Here's why I've come into the world, to show the truth. 
Here's why I've come into the world to speak the truth. Here's why I have come into the world to portray and testify to the truth. And if you are of the truth, you hear my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, I don't know if Pilate is asking a rhetorical question there or if he's, if he's just kind of being sarcastic and saying, oh, your truth, my truth, oh, truth is everybody's truth, doesn't matter. What is truth? And he, because he doesn't hang around for an answer, according to John. So it must have been somewhat rhetorical. It must have been so, somewhat sarcastic. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in this man. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Bad translation. Barabbas was a terrorist. Barabbas was one who desired more than just robbing from Rome and stealing their goods. He desired to overthrow Rome and cast Rome out. So he was a robber. He did commit robbery, but it was far greater than that. He was a terrorist to the worst degree. And the people said, no, don't give us Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Now the story plays out in Pilate's praetorium. And it's clear there that there, there, there's a jostling match going on, if you will, back and forth about who this man is and why he's here. And the Jews say one thing, Jesus declares another, and, and Pilate's kind of caught in the middle. He certainly doesn't want to stir up the Jews against him because he, he knows that if there's an uprising, he knows if there's a problem in the city, especially during Passover when so many Jews are in town, that, that the Roman government back in Rome will not look favorably upon him and will probably remove him from power, will probably take away all of his wealth. He'll lose everything that matters to him in this world. So, so Pilate is kind of playing the political game and trying to play both sides against the middle. We see that all the time in our political games. People always want to say, well, I know this may be right, I know this may be right, uh, this, this is probably wrong, but, but you know, I, I, can't, I can't really side with the right, I've got to kind of make the, appease the wrong, and so I, I try to straddle the fence, go down the middle, and, and deal with things that really make no sense at all. Pilate makes a statement, I find no guilt in him, I, I find no crime that deserves to go to the cross, I, I find no crime for execution, and yet, yet the Jews continue to declare, we want him executed, we want him to die. There, there's no middle ground for them. They want one thing and one thing only. And Jesus stands there knowing that this is for what he came into the world, but he says, I want you to understand this. It's not just to go to the cross. It's not just that I would die, but it's so that you might be able to see that in my going to that cross, I am testifying to truth. Pilate says, what is truth? You know, a lot of people asking that question today in our culture. That really is a significant question. That really is an important question that many people are asking. Barna Research Group, who's always polling people about something several years ago, surveyed what Americans believe, and they, they asked the question, is there absolute truth? 66% of adults in America said they believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. This pulpit is made of wood. 
No, this pulpit is made of stone. Oh, okay. Your truth, my truth, doesn't matter. There's nothing absolute. You can't say that's wood. Somebody might believe it's stone. Roger, you made it. It's made of wood, right? All right, okay. It's wood. There's no way to conflict that. It's pretty bad to think that 66% of adults responded that way. It goes a little worse, though, when you take out the 18 to 25-year-olds who express the belief that, that, that it goes from 66% to 72% of 18 to 25-year-olds who say, no, I don't believe there's anything, there's no absolute truth. There's nothing that is true because it's true. It, it, it's made true if we believe it, they would say. Some would say, from one survey on a college campus, they, what is truth? They'd say, truth is whatever you believe. Uh, there is no such thing as absolute truth. If, if there were such a thing as absolute truth, how can we know what the truth is, they ask. How do we know it? And even some who said, well, you know, we believe that people who believe in absolute truth are dangerous people because they believe they're right. And heaven knows we can't have a, a culture, can't have a, 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 a society where people believe they are right, that there is absolute truth. But as Christians, we have to ponder that question. Is there such thing as absolute truth? When Jesus says here, I have come to testify to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, is he talking about some kind of relativism? Is he talking about some kind of a, well, if you hear my voice, then you can be, I can be your truth for you or whatever? What is he talking about there? He's talking about absolute truth. He's talking about truth that comes not from the whims of man, but comes from the Word of God. He's talking about not truth that comes because it's comfortable to me, and in that truth I get to do whatever I desire to do, but it's truth that comes from God and sets the parameters, sets the boundaries of the life in which we are to live. And when Pilate asked the question, what is truth, rhetorical or otherwise, he is touching on the nerve that every one of us must ask and must deal with and must struggle with if we're going to understand the basics of real Christianity. Real Christianity is growing up in our nation now. And if you look around, you can see any number of things. You can see, you can see churches that are accepting all sorts of things that are totally contrary to the Scriptures. This week at the Southern Baptist Convention in, in Baltimore, Maryland, starting this afternoon with a pastor's conference, they're going to be discussing some issues. Now, the, the press is going to make a big deal out of it and sound like there's a lot of folks doing this when there's really just one little segment over here that say, well, we're going to, we're going to say Scripture's wrong on this and we're going to accept this and that's going to be our little understanding of truth now. There are others that are doing it. Church in Louisville, Kentucky made a bold announcement just Two weeks ago, in the news, we will now do things that are in contradiction to God's Word. Now, they're making a big deal out of it because it's, you know, it's the crisis du jour or it's the, the, the crisis of the day or, the, or the, the controversial thing of the day. Truth of the matter is, that church and other churches have been violating the Word of God for years and saying, this little bit of truth we don't really want. This little bit of truth is not acceptable to us. This little bit of truth we will do away with picture you see on the screen there is the famous painting that translated means behold the man 
Pilate as he looks out from the praetorium to the masses below and says, I don't find any guilt with him. What is truth? Behold the man. This is the man I'd like to release. I have no guilt. And the people cry out, no, give us Barabbas. For years, the Christian church has said, where God's word speaks, that is truth. What God's word teaches, that is truth. It's, 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 it's called the, the correspondence view of truth. In other words, what corresponds with what has been revealed and what corresponds with what is in reality, factual reality, that is the truth. So, so we would say that we can say this pulpit is made of wood because indeed, factually, it is made of wood. And the church has always held that something can neither be, cannot be both false and true at the same time. It, it, it can't be true and false. I can say that I'm standing in front of you, and, and because I'm standing here and you're sitting there, that is a reality. I, I, can't be, I, I can't claim that that's true, though, if I'm at the back of the room and say, well, I'm standing in front of you. I mean, I'm not. It has to correspond with truth. It has to correspond with reality. It's either true or it's false. It cannot be both at the same time. For years, our people of the earth, before your birth, most of you anyway, believed that the earth was flat. And they, for years, were afraid that if you went too far in any direction, you would just fall over the edge. And people, well, I think there probably are still a few people around that believe that, the way they act, but that's a whole other matter. But the truth of the matter is, science came along, evaluated different things, saw the horizon, and now we have satellites that show pictures that clearly contradict that the earth is not flat, the earth is round. It can't be flat and round at the same time. Photographs have pretty well determined what reality is there, and so we know that the truth is that the world is round. You get the picture? It can't be true and false at the same time. It can't be right and wrong at the same time. You you can't say, well, you know, it's it's wrong to steal, and it's wrong to kill, and it's wrong to to lie unless there's some basis for that to make it truth. I've got to be honest with you. If I don't believe in correspondent truth, if I don't believe that truth is revealed and truth comes from a source that is the truth, and that was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If I don't believe in that kind of revealed truth, then I'll be honest with you, I can't say that stealing, killing, lying is necessarily wrong. Because you see, if you fall into this other area of the way people view truth, and that is relative and not absolute, and take what is known as a relativistic view of truth, then it all depends on the views of the persons or the cultures, on where their statements, it's not on where their statements correspond to objective reality, but it's all subjective. It's all what I feel. And, and so you might say that you know, certain things are wrong, and, and someone might say, well, why would that be wrong? I feel like that's what I want to do, and so it's right for me. I, I was amazed over the weekend to, to hear on TV, and then also, this is an aside, but to... Uh, to uh, read it in some articles, then I looked up that, that now we find out that perhaps the reason that some people are unfaithful in their marriages is because of global warming. Did you see that? Yeah, it's a new study out that says unfaithfulness is caused by global warming. And so 
Can't help it. It just happens because of global warming. And besides, if there's a relativistic view of truth, then it's okay to do it because it feels good for me. It's what I want to do. You know, the statement in in relativism, a a statement is simply true because it's what I want it to be. You hear statements like, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me, or we can't judge others on what is true for them. The poet Steve Turner wrote a parody of this view and the attitude which he called creed. and talked about being the creed of our culture, and he said, in, in part, it's not the whole thing, but he said, I believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. I believe that there is no absolute truth, accepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. No absolute truth except there's no absolute truth. That's absolutely true. You follow? When Pilate asked that question, what is truth? Jesus said, here's what truth. Truth is standing right before you. Truth is speaking to you. Truth is declaring reality to you. I am the truth. I came to bear witness to the truth. I came to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Pilate is faced with a dilemma there. Probably no doubt he would want to say sarcastically what is truth or rhetorically what is truth because here is Pilate who declares that Caesar is Lord and now Jesus is coming along and saying, I am Lord. I am that I am. I'm the the great I am. I am Lord. Caesar is Lord. You can't have both Lords. Lord, by virtue of its definition, is exclusive. And, And so Pilate is struggling here because here's one who's claiming to be truth and Lord, and he's got an allegiance to one who says he's Lord Caesar. Who's he going to choose? Can they both be Lord? No. We live in a day where we declare that Jesus is Lord. Others declare that Allah is Lord. Others declare that there is no Lord, that we're our own lords. We're our own masters of our destiny. We're we're our own determiners of our fate, if you will. And, And there is no Lord, just us. Can all that be true? Can Allah be Lord and Jesus be Lord and you be Lord? No. No. Truth is what corresponds with reality. And the very definition of truth and the very definition of Lord precludes any possibility that all are true. See, a lot of times we want to move away from absolute truth because, quite frankly, it just keeps us from doing what we want to do. I think I've told you before that my pastor in seminary Paul Burleson, who many of you have met, uh, Paul told us in a little class, pastoral training class at South Cliff Baptist Church one time, said, anytime you have someone who's been very active in the church and they start saying, well, I, deny, I, I just doubt certain parts of God's word. I'm just, I'm just not sure it's totally true. I'm not, I'm not sure I can accept it completely. He said, always look for the immorality in their life. Because the only way they can justify their immorality is to deny the truth of God's Word. And and folks, that's true. 
Many deny God's word because they want to do what they want to do. They want to be their own Lord. They want to determine their own moral standards, their own ethical standards, and they don't want anything external from them doing that. People who are relative, relativists are really kind of interesting because they deal with, uh, they, they deal with absolutes every day. They walk into their bedroom and they turn on a switch and they expect the lights to come on. They expect electricity to work, absolutely. They're disappointed if it doesn't. They drive a car believing that the engine is going to be effective in taking the car, taking them where they want to go. I'll tell you one thing, I, I certainly don't want to fly on an airplane where the pilot or the or, or the control tower is a, a, a believer in relativism and, and not absolute truth. I want them plotting the course and flying where we want to go. I want to get on the plane, the pilots say, let's just see where we go today. No, I want to go where I'm going. I'm going to get on a plane in a few weeks and go to New York City, and I, I want to be sure the pilot knows that, that the, way, the right way, the absolute way, is from point A to point B to get me to LaGuardia. That's what I want to know. You know, if there, are no absolute, if there are no absolute right, if there are no absolutes, there's no right and wrong, I can kill you, I can steal from you, I can lie to you, and you can't say that it's wrong. Well, you may say, well, it's wrong because it hurts me, but it helps me. It's what I want to do. And, and the ultimate reality of the relative's life is what makes me feel good and what gets me what I want. You got money that I want? Sorry. There's no law, there's no absolute that says I can't do it. You know, John Richard Newhouse said years ago in the absence of truth, power is the only game in town. In the absence of truth, it's the, it is the survival of the fittest. In the absence of truth, it's if I can overdo you and outdo you, then I win, and that's all that matters. Truth says there's parameters. But despite its absurdity, this view of truth has become the darling of our culture. This view of truth has become the darling of our culture because our culture tends to want to do its own thing as they want to do it and how they want to do it. But Christians have historically affirmed the correspondence view. That when, when, when Jesus said, I came to testify to the truth to Pilate, and Pilate says, what is truth? He should have hung around for just a minute for Jesus to have said, I am the truth. Believe in me and you'll have life. I am the truth. He should have hung around to hear what he said in his prayer, that God's word is the truth. Sanctify them, Father. Set them apart, Father. Protect them from the evil one, Father. Not by their own strength, but by your word. For your word is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. God's word is the truth. If we want to live, if we want to understand reality, then we will understand that we must know, we must study, we must meditate upon, and we must absorb God's word. Because if we don't, it's all about what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. The biblical view of truth is always absolute. 
The biblical view of truth gives no equivocation, no wavering whatsoever. When the Bible speaks of truth, it describes that which corresponds to reality. It's factual. It's absolute. It's not relative. All through the Bible, the word truth is used. Of the 222 times it's used in the New Testament, 20-something of them are found in the Gospel of John. John is really is really desirous that we understand what truth is. That's why we've been spending two years in the book of John, because John wants us to see the truth and know the truth and abide by the truth. But all through the Bible, you find in Deuteronomy 32, 4, that God is a God of truth. You find earlier in John's gospel that Jesus is the truth. He is full of truth. He is full of grace. And he spoke the truth in John 14, 6, 1, 14, and 8, 45. We find Jesus calling the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And he guided the apostles into all truth, according to John 14 and John 16, that, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That God's word is truth, John 17, 17. That the judgments of God are according to truth, Psalm 96, 13, and Romans 2, 2. And that Christians should walk in the truth as revealed by Jesus Christ, including the standard of ethics that he taught, Ephesians 4, 17, and 5, 1 through 17. I mean, the scripture is filled with understanding of that, that the fact that God has revealed to us truth. And as his children members of his body, members of his church, it is our responsibility to know the truth. And Jesus even said, if you know the truth, which means hearing my voice, if you know the truth and abide in the truth, you shall be free indeed. See, we get this idea in our culture that we are free by breaking away from the truth. You know, if I don't have a truth, I don't have absolute truth, I don't have, if I don't have objective truth, if, if everything's relative and what I want is my truth, then, then our culture says we're free. We are never in bondage like we are when we depend upon ourselves to be our own truth. Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And as Christians, we are called to patiently and lovingly Teach others the truth, not to back away from it, not to shy away from it in a culture that hates to hear it. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26, he said, you know, the servant of God, the, the, the person of, uh, of Christ is to be loving and kind and patient, patiently teaching the truth. Many will turn their ears away. Many will refuse to hear. They'll want their ears tickled. They want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear, not what God has to say. And there's much more in the Scripture that talks about that. But suffice it to say, we as, as believers cannot be ear ticklers. One of my uh, favorite contemporary preachers tweeted out something this week, and I retweeted it. You may have seen it, some of you who tweet or twit or whatever that is. Uh, he said basically this, and my brain just went blank because it's not in my notes. He said, you remember what he said? (laughs) 
Todd's looking it up. Oh, I thought you were looking it up. I was waiting patiently. It's important. Ortland, yes. If the gospel offends you, don't blame the preacher. Think that he's making it clear and you've heard it before. Ah, yes. <laughs> I remember tweeting that now. If the gospel offends you, don't blame the preacher. Thank him because he's making it clearer than it's ever been before. The gospel's offensive. The gospel says God created everything and, and has authority over everything. The gospel says man fell into sin, and that includes you. The gospel says you need a Savior. You, you're in a mess without a Savior. You need a Savior. And, and, and Jesus is that Savior, and that only Savior, the only way, the only truth, the only life. And, and, and that's offensive to a lot of people. I, I remember Ted Turner saying years ago, I don't want anybody dying for me. I'm offended that some would say that Jesus died for me. I don't want, him, I don't want anybody dying for me. I'll, I'll take my chances. Well, sorry, Ted. The gospel's offensive. Now, we don't need to be offensive with the gospel. We don't have to be offensive. The gospel's offensive enough. But if the gospel is being clearly proclaimed, it'll be offensive to some people. So what is truth? Truth is what is real. And God is real, and, and He reveals what real is. God is truth, and He says what is truth, the truth, and we are to abide in it. Call yourself what you may, but you cannot be a Christian and say, well, I just don't buy this idea of absolute truth. I really want to believe in an. I want to believe in a relative view of morals and, and ethics and, and right and wrong and good and bad and, and all the rest. Call yourself what you may, but if you don't believe in a correspondence view of truth that God has revealed what is truth in His Son Jesus Christ, and that alone is the truth, then you need to come before Him in repentance. Truth means that you trust Jesus and his word as the ultimate source of truth, especially in regards to ethical issues and salvation. There's no other way to live right except living according to his word. There's no other way to find salvation except in Jesus Christ and his truth. John said in, or Jesus said in John 8, that those who trust Jesus as the ultimate source of truth will be greatly blessed. Hear those words from John's gospel, John 8, 31. Just listen to them. Don't turn there with me. But hear what he says. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had not believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. He said to those Jews who had believed in him, excuse me. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him and said, we're Abraham's descendants. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How do you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does, however, remain forever. 
So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Truth makes us free. Truth sets us free. Do you know the truth? Do you believe the truth? Have you trusted in the one who is the personification of truth? The ultimate of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, I admit, sometimes it's a whole lot easier just to try to make it up as we go. It's a whole lot easier a whole lot easier just to say, I just want to live by my truth. I don't want God's truth. I don't want Jesus or anybody else telling me what to do or how I ought to live or what I have to trust. I want to be a self-made man. I want to be a self-made woman. Father, how we try and how we fail. Lord, I ask you this day, help us know the truth, believe the truth, and abide in your truth and be made free indeed. Father, I pray for men and women and young people here that have been trying to make their own truth. They need Christ. They need to trust you, Lord, for the first time. Confess you before men. Father, do your work in your way. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.